Jalen and Jacoby, the after show is brought to you by our good friends at AT&T. And now, Jalen and Jacoby. Welcome to the Jalen and Jacoby after show presented by AT&T. And Jalen, I know this was an emotional evening for you. I know it was an emotional evening for you to watch your team push Michael Jordan's Bulls further than they have only been pushed once before to a Game 7 and be so close to winning it. What did it feel like sitting downstairs in your basement watching this episode? It was was bittersweet, Jacoby, because the one thing about being on a team with one of the legends that Michael Jordan stopped from getting the ring – Reggie Miller, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, John Stockton can relate. So can Charles Barkley and Gary Payton, Clyde Drexler. Shocking. Is that that black cat is something special. And while the rest of the world gets a chance to enjoy and celebrate him as a former Pistons fan growing up, still native Detroit and ride with my squad to the fullest, and then playing for the Pacers, I basically never got a chance to appreciate the greatness of Michael Jordan because I was rooting or playing against him his entire career. And so watching the doc and seeing how he was able to overcome certain obstacles gives me a level of respect and appreciation for a player that I already acknowledged as the GOAT in the NBA. We're all in the same boat, stuck in our homes during a quarantine, joining our friends on Zoom calls. We all know there's a lot going on right now in the world, and we're all shopping online as we stay at home. I just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no-contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy so you can shop at ease. You can visit att.com to learn how to shop online from the safety of your home 24-7. Subjects to change, restricted to We've been doing this show for nine years, it seems like. We've still been having the same debate when it comes to who's the greatest of all time in the NBA. It's the great debate. Who's the best of the best? Who's the real deal of the NBA? When it comes to home and auto insurance, there's only one real deal, and that is State Farm. But, Jalen, me and you go back and forth. I don't do the cross-error comparisons because I feel like it's like technology. It just gets better with time, so you can't do cross-error comparisons. But during this The Last Dance run, it seems like the debate has been sort of brought back up. And some tells me I know where you side on this one. MJ, six championships, six MVPs. Nobody will do that. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, six championships, six league MVPs. Nobody ever do that. He's a league's all-time leading scorer. Bill Russell, 11 championships, 13 years. That'll never happen again. LeBron is great. He deserves to be on Rob Rushmore, Mount Rushmore. You can fight me for this next one because he's my favorite player, Magic Johnson. I think he won five championships in 13 years. You can fight me on that one and give LeBron his spot. But for me, LeBron got to win one with the Lakers to pass Magic. But if you want to put LeBron at fourth, three championships, 17 seasons, three teams. 
the other people just accomplish greater achievements in the NBA. Well, obviously, I disagree, but whatever your opinion may be, there's only one thing everyone can agree on. There's nothing realer than a teammate you can rely on. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Jalen, you were there. It's so good to have your perspective on this series and these two episodes. Crazy. Like we always do, it is time to bring in the maestro, the director of The Last Dance, our friend, Jason Ayer. Jason, first off, congratulations on the final airing of this series. I'm sure ESPN's already asking for more, but we'll discuss that later. I am too. We need more. We need more. Where's Craig Hodges? We need more. I want to start where we started episode nine with Reggie Miller saying, you don't talk bleep to black Jesus. What was it like talking to Reggie about his relationship with Jordan and this particular series? I think that that Reggie's feelings on Michael border between reverence and frustration. Um, He's got the utmost respect for Michael. It's clear when you speak with him uh, as a competitor and as a winner. But frustration, um, and Jalen can speak to this too, that the, the guys that, that Michael kept from that mountaintop in the 90s, if you put together a, a squad of those guys, you're talking about an all-time, that's a dream team right there of non-bulls um, who didn't get even a chance at the finals, let alone a, a chance at a ring. Because um, that East in the 90s, as we all know, was was ferocious. Um, and the Bulls were able to stave off so much of this competition. So... It took us a while to get Reggie. Um, he, he, uh, you know, we, we called and called and called and emailed and called and called and called. And finally he, um, agreed to sit down. Um, I don't know if he just wasn't getting those calls or if it was, if he was avoiding them or what, but, um, he gave a great interview. You got to hand it to the guy. Cause I know that it must sting still, uh, to this day to get that close. Cause that squad was incredible. That, that Pacers team that they had, uh, in any other year, you could absolutely see them going to the finals and, and winning. Uh, but it just, uh, it, it goes to show just how powerful that Bulls team was. So this is episode nine. So many things from the doc are trending. Congratulations. And since this is a pod format, I want to bring everybody behind the curtain as somebody that played with Reggie multiple years, in particular that season for the last dance. Your relationship is different with somebody when they put their paws on you. <laughs> That's what happened with Michael Jordan and Reggie. When you physically grab me, push me, slap me, punch me, like I feel different about you. That that just that's just how it works. And Reggie, Clyde Drexler, Mitch Richmond, you mentioned it, Jason, Charles Barkley, Stockton and Malone, Patrick, Patrick Ewing. Ewing. Like Peyton in this era, LeBron James is deservedly so in the conversation of Mount Rushmore. But he's not stopping the other great players from winning rings. Kawhi, KD, Steph, they're still getting them. MJ stopped that from happening. And so interviewing Reggie as somebody to play with him, and I was trying to initially get him to interview for this Doc Jacoby, and he didn't want to do it. It was too much pain. So why so much like like time on this for these last two to to try to really just you know simmer what was happening as it related to the the 
the tough matchup that ended up being the Pacers red, led by Reggie Miller. Um, we knew going in, we were going to devote an entire episode, an entire episode to this, um, because that series was so iconic. That's only one of two times that the Bulls were brought to seven games in their entire, all their championship runs. Mm. Um, and if you talk to those guys now, I think Wennington said in the show, this is, that was the hardest series. And Michael said that, that, uh, besides the Pistons, those Pacers teams were the hardest teams that we had to beat. Um, so they had enormous respect for these guys. I knew that going in that they had enormous respect for the Pacers, especially of that season. Um, and that there were so many moments in that series, you know, highlighted, of course, by game four and the shot that Reggie hit. But that's one of those things. It was like the timeout in the Fab Five or WrestleMania three and Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. You just want to break down what happened in the huddle, what happened on the court, the push off heard around the world. We all know that happened. For Reggie to acknowledge it, I thought was was uh, really candid. He said a slight push, just a just a little push. Yeah, he just he wanted to put the pressure on the refs. I love him saying he wanted to put the pressure on the refs. No, he, he always said that, Jacoby. <laughs> he always said that. Set a dirty screen. You can hack him. The refs is not going to call it to decide the game. Especially That's how different then, Jason yeah. the game was in the in the in the waning seconds they're not going to call an off a push off before he even gets the ball i don't care mm. if it's michael or if it's bill russell or if it's austin crozier like it doesn't matter who it is respect to austin but it doesn't matter who it is you're not going to get that call he had said that that was supposed to be in jail you were in the huddle so that was supposed to be a curl he was coming off of a curl and then was supposed to just improvise from there if they had the shot take it if not dish it off and you guys probably had a second option and he decided in the moment, no, I'm going to get this and I'm shooting this ball. So, you know, I remember watching that and I remember being frustrated because I wanted the Bulls to win, not you guys. Um, <laughs> and I remember being frustrated by Reggie's dance because he, I didn't, I didn't know he had a bad ankle. I just thought he was hopping around like a ballerina. I was like, oh, look at this guy. Um, so it's fascinating. It's, it's when you, you get a chance to actually ask the questions that you wanted to ask as a fan in the moment. That's when, that's the, the peak of the luckiness of the job that I have is that I get to sit there and, and try and break it down. Now you took it a step further as you always do and said, go to Larry Bird and show yeah. that stoic demeanor that, and he never flinches. He just glances that is up. Crazy, right? Yep. He knew. And, and, well, and he was a millimeter from being right that, I mean, you're not going to see many shots at the buzzer, especially from 35 feet. A double pump three. Rim in and out like that. So uh, you, you're the one, though, who pointed that out. I mean, we, we probably would have showed that, but I never would have known that little detail of uh, – I didn't remember that shot of Larry uh, being completely stone-faced. But it just shows you his knowledge of the game. Um, that guy was – he was playing chess, and, and, and most other people were playing checkers. Of course, and one of the best things about reliving all this, even as someone who's an intense NBA fan like myself that watched all these things live, is you kind of forget how close that Jordan shot was to banking in. And when you watch it during the documentary, it was literally in the hoop and then rims out. You just remember the Reggie Miller shot. You know what I mean? That was off. He missed it. Please. He did miss it. But then, of course, they did go on to win. Another thing that's so great about this documentary is we've all seen the games. But what we haven't seen before is 
the post game and the locker room and this, this footage that sort of was the foundation of this documentary. And after this series, just the relief of the Bulls and the satisfaction, it had sort of like a championship celebration sort of a feel. It kind of felt a little bit like your Red Sox being the Yankees and then going on to beat the Cardinals was sort of like a secondary thought. <laughs> Watching this and sort of cutting this, did you feel that? Did you feel that they sort of like got to the top of the mountain in the Eastern Conference, not necessarily with the championship? Yeah, it's it's one of the few times in all of the footage, either in 97, 98 or prior to that, that I had ever seen that office that Michael had off of the locker room tense mm. because even when you, you when you skip ahead to episode 10 you see him on the day of the game he's loose like it, it it's just he's got this this preternatural gift he just kind of like lives in the moment um but there was clearly tension in that locker room before game seven um because you know i i, I remember watching that and, th- and being nervous like this could be the last time we ever get to see michael jordan play basketball and you know it went through his head but normally that office is loose. He's handing out tickets to people. There's visitors coming in. They're, they're joking with each other. The TV's on. This was, this was like, as they said, nut crunching time. And, and you could barely hear a pin drop in that office. So to see that footage, it just kind of underlined like how tense this was. And then the relief afterwards, the first thing he said when he got in the locker room is this shit is hard. You can hear the relief in his voice. You can see it on his face. He's elated. It's almost like a celebration that you would see after a finals victory. It's him going around guy by guy by guy and congratulating him, saying, what's up, D-Rod? And and I think he said to to Kerr, way to make the shots. I mean, he is so ecstatic that they have made it this far. And this is the same Michael who a few weeks earlier said, watch out, we may not lose another game. I think even he didn't understand how difficult uh, that that postseason was going to be. And, of course, at that point, the next day, they had to get on a plane and fly to Utah to face the Jazz, who have home court, are better than they were last season in a tough finals, and have had a week to rest. And the Bulls have zero rest. Since you brought up the finals, Jacoby, the only thing he took away from everything tonight, as somebody that used to flip pizzas, let me take this. Let me take it's this, Jason. This is very important this. to me. Yes. Let me ahead. take this. Yes. Let me take this. So I used to be a pizza professional. I worked at Bell's Pizza in Amherst, Massachusetts. Not the greatest pizza, but you know, I was back there <laughs> in the walk-in, in the kitchen, cooking up the pizzas, and we got calls. No well one ever called and say, I need a pizza for Michael Jordan. So the story of the flu game is this. There's at least three human beings in a hotel room, George, Tim, and, and Michael. They need a pizza for Michael at 1030 in Utah. Utah shuts down around 6 p.m. So they're calling around. They get a place. <laughs> they ask for a pizza. Five people come deliver the pizza at the door of the hotel room. That's suspicious. Alone right there. And then this is the part that I really do not believe. I'm, just, I'm not going to call Tim a liar. I'm just going to say I don't believe when he said that Michael Jordan was the only person to eat the pizza. Because I've been in hotel rooms with a full pizza and four dudes. At, at 11 at night. And everyone's having a slice. Like, everybody is having a slice. There's just it, – it, it does – there's a lot of controversy about this moment. There's rumors that he was hungover, blah, blah, blah. But this didn't really fill in all of the gaps to me. So I'm going to say – Give you the floor. I've Are you saying I'm not a journalist? Questions. Are you saying yes, I'm not that, a historian? I'm accusing you of maybe just perhaps just sort of tying it up in a nice little bow and giving them a nice little explanation that might be not exactly 100% the truth. That's exactly what I'm accusing you of. Deliberately. Yes. All right. I'll take that. Wow. I've got my, wow. share, my share of criticism. Wow. Wow. Uh, you going to treat our guests like this? Oh, Man, yes. that's just rude. Um. 
the the backstory to that, and you have been in in rooms with with a bunch of dudes in a pizza, and I have too. Um, I've not been in a room with a pizza where we all ate dinner, and Michael Jordan did not eat dinner because we didn't wait for him to order. Mm. So earlier that night, those guys all ate dinner and didn't wait for Michael when they ordered. So it gets to be about ten, eleven o'clock, and Michael is starving, and says, "I want a pizza." Or get me something. And we're talking about Salt Lake. They're actually way on the outskirts of Salt Lake. And that's, that's another layer to this story is that they weren't staying in downtown where things would be readily available. There was no room service in the hotel. So they call out when the pizza shows up. Michael says, everybody do not touch this pizza. This is mine. You didn't wait for me. Don't touch this. So he spits on the pizza. What? 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 My seven-year-old son. This is that. exclusive right here. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> what? What? Hold on. Is it past your curfew, Jason? Are you sure? <laughs> I, I, you, you know, you know, young people, babies, and elderly—they just say whatever. Are you? Are you? Are you serious? I am telling you what was told to me in our <laughs> interviews. I was not in Utah. I was in college. I was in Williamstown, Massachusetts, when this happened. <laughs> This is not the only time you can look up that Michael would spit on food if he didn't want people to eat it. (laughs) So (laughs) that is why I think it is true that Michael ate an entire pizza himself. Was that pizza spiked? I don't believe that. Oh, I do believe that nobody else ate that pizza. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Watching the film, the film leads me to believe via Tim, at least leads me to believe that Tim believes that the pizza was spiked. I think he does I, believe that. And I wasn't in the room that night. None of us were. So we don't know how many people show up to the door. We don't know if it was Carmelo and John Stockton with fake mustaches on and a big <laughs> delicious pizza for Michael. The guy so, sounded like Jerry Sloan. Who knows? Maybe so watching the doc- was working that night. But, you know, uh, I can tell you from more than one person that we interviewed, Michael was not happy that he was not consulted for dinner earlier. And he said, mm-hmm. nobody else eat this pizza and spat on the pizza. <laughs> that is hilarious. So, uh, wow. That, that is, is so, is, so many. Does that things. change your mind at all? You still think that I'm lying about the, or that I'm, that I'm conveniently leaving something. Get him, Jason. Get him. No, 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 no. First of get all, you're being a liar, but I will get I do have some follow up oh, yeah, questions. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I do you did. Some get if, you, if you don't think that Tim was telling 100% of the truth, why does the doctor oh, lead lying. me to I don't believe think, I don't, that he's telling the truth? No, 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 so you no, think no, five no, people no, showed no, up no. to the door? No. All Counselor. I care about is this pizza. Counselor. Okay. I don't think Tim was lying. I think Tim believes that the pizza was spiked. I... We did it. We did another documentary about the Sacramento Kings and, and that involved the infamous, uh, Kobe Bryant food poisoning in which mm-hmm. he ordered a cheeseburger from a hotel in Sacramento and ended up with food poisoning before a game. So there are these urban legends out there that, you know, home teams or home fans will do whatever they can, you know, calling guys late, pulling fire alarms to get guys out of rooms. I know that Belichick and the Pats were accused of that a bunch of times. These are fun urban legends and myths to talk about. I think that Tim Grover is telling 1,000% the truth when he says what his opinion is. I am not as much of a conspiracy theorist. I I, I take the Occam's razor approach and say that the, the simplest answer is the most likely. And the, the simplest answer is that Michael ate an entire pizza 
and was probably dehydrated <laughs> and, and felt however he felt. And maybe that maybe there was bad pepperoni on the pizza. Who knows? But it's not a hangover if you're on the ground grabbing your stomach and throwing up at two or three in the morning. That's not what hangovers are. And that is documented that he was doing that. And many people saw that happen. His mom was involved in, in this process as well. So as much as I would like to believe the conspiracy theories and investigate them and all that, I think that the truth is a lot simpler than that. Yeah. Once Dolores got on the screen and confirmed that it wasn't a hangover, I was like, oh, that's it. It's not a hangover. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so, if, Dolores, if Dolores says it's not, then it is not. And I do believe it was food poisoning at some point. But until I learned that he spit all over the pizza, I had a lot of questions. That does help a lot. And listen, I'm not here to do your job, but I would probably do like a director's cut of episode nine. You know what I mean? Maybe some commentary where you explain the spitting on the pizza part. Maybe this is animation. it. We this is the commentary. It we can talk is about it. it offline. So, Jason, I have a few things. Entourage 101. Mm -hmm. So if we're ordering a pizza and you got a chance to interview Tim, who I've trained with and I love, if we're ordering a pizza, A, in Utah, why are you saying it's for Michael Jordan? And B, why are you still eating it knowing that five people just showed up to deliver it? It's a setup. My guess is, this is all conjecture, and, and, and I've learned the hard way in the past few weeks uh, that if I say a wrong word, then it gets out there and, and whatever. So <laughs> you're big time now, dog. You're big time. No, that's how it works. No one has anything else to talk about. Obviously <laughs> I think that, all right, say, say they, they call and they say it's room 522. Mm -hmm. Deliver a pizza up there. You think the guy at the front desk isn't telling those dudes who he probably knew in that little town outside of Salt Lake? That's Jordan's room. And I bet they came and was like, yeah, let's, let's go deliver the pizza to Jordan. I don't think – now, if you spiked a pizza, why would you want to call attention to yourself with five guys at the door? I think five guys came to the door because they wanted to peek inside and see Michael Jordan and on, on the night before game six or the night before game five. But I don't believe that they like did something horrible to that pizza, and then and then the entire. So, how, how many people are working at this pizzeria, by the way, in suburban Salt Lake? Yeah, it's, 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 night, you got cut weekend. staff after the dinner rush. You cut staff. Come Seriously. on now. Yeah, it's, it's just closing. It's, it's closing it's, only. Yeah. yeah. So how about this, guys? And correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm probably wrong. You know, fortunate enough to play a lot of, you know, games in the NBA and do a lot of traveling. Sometimes, greasy pizza. Adult beverages and cigars just don't go down well. <laughs> How about that? Like sometimes they, they just don't go down well. You're at altitude. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm I'm not kidding. I think that that. Has I agree. To mm. um, I think that's fair. I th I think there's there's a lot of factors at play here, but um, well, but put put it this way: I don't think anyone lied, including me, Jacoby. In the television of this story. No, I don't think you lied. I just think you misled the uh, millions of people. That you know, Jason ain't he lying. He showed Dennis Rodman in this documentary getting on a motorcycle after a game with a beer in his hand. He had a beer in his hand getting on a motorcycle after an NBA basketball game. All the promos, How many dude, emails all the did you get from that? I Zero. know the NBA. I know somebody had to reach out to you. Like, what? Adam Silver doesn't normally let things like that happen, Jason. I didn't shoot that footage. I was in college at the time. I don't. I don't think he's wearing a helmet either, is he? Doesn't he just have the bandana? <laughs> no, good point. No, no, no. And sunglasses at night. Yeah, it's and, all and bad. I bet when it's he went around bad. the corner, he blew a red light. So yeah, yeah, guaranteed. <laughs> and I'm sure he blew more than that later that night. Moving on. <laughs> There's also Steve Kerr. 
right? We have the Steve Kerr story. Now, um, it was it was a moment watching it where I, it made me emotional and it made me feel like I was closer to Steve Kerr and understood him. And he wasn't necessarily one of the on the marquee in terms of this Bulls, but he was an important part, especially during this playoff run. What made you decide to go into Steve Kerr's origin story during this episode at this time intensely in the playoffs? Well, um, his origin story might be the one that I was looking forward to telling the most. I, I, I think that his story deserves its own full Agreed. Thank you for um, telling it. It, there was a piece in the New York Times. I wish I knew the name of the writer because it was a brilliant piece. But it, it was if you Google Steve Kerr, New York Times, this piece comes up. And it was it's about three years old, maybe four years old. And it tells the full story of, of that, that, that we told, but in much greater detail because it, it's several pages long. Um, so I had been looking forward to telling this story from the outset. Uh, the reason why we chose to do it at the time we did it is is because in our timelines, the, the converging timeline, that's when 97 hits. That's when, mm-hmm. when Steve had hit the shot. And also he has that big shot, uh, against the Pacers as well. And, and, you know, he hadn't had that many moments in the 97, 98 season. He sure did. Up. Sorry. Sorry, Jill. He sure did. But, <laughs> that was, was that off a jump ball? Off a jump ball? Yeah. Like yeah, MJ, yeah. MJ against like Rick Smith. Like he had, Rick Smith the ruler had bad up. feet. And Rick, he's supposed Rick to get that jump. tip, Jacoby. He was like seven foot four. He's supposed to get that tip. He did get the tip, but he, t- the, but Scotty ended up with it. Michael lost the tip by a foot, but Scotty ends yeah, up yeah. with it and dishes it over to Steve and Steve and Steve nails that shot. Um, that. we also knew that we needed to have, you know, a few bullets left in the chamber for later on in the, in the dock. Yeah. We didn't want to get all of our, our backstories out of the way in the first half of the dock and then just be straight basketball for the rest of the time. So. This is around the, t- we knew we were going to have very basketball centric episodes in the back. So we want to get as much kind of off the court flavor as, as possible in these. So it made sense to tell Gus's story here because that's, he showed up at game seven and it made sense to tell Steve's story because that's when we're diving into the 97 finals. Was there anything from the Steve Kerr interview that you want to put into this film that you did not? So much. Um, we spent like two and a half hours with him and he's just like gem after gem after gem with him. He's, he's one of the most thoughtful, incisive, intelligent yes, he is. guys in, in Love the him. community. Um, so he had so much to, to offer, um, but didn't play a huge role on that team. So he wasn't, he wasn't front and center for a lot of these earlier episodes, but um, yeah. And then to go to his mom's house, uh, his mom is one of the most impressive people his mom and MJ's mom, maybe the two most impressive people I met throughout this entire process. These oh. are just extraordinary human beings. Steve, that's that house we did that in is Steve's living room where he grew up. There's still a bassinet that Steve was in uh, that, wow. I, that I believe Steve's father or grandfather was in as well. They still have in that house. Steve's childhood drawings are up on the wall, like stick figures of him, like a blonde haired kid with a baseball glove. Uh, the house is like, it's like a Steve Kerr museum. Um, and that family is just so impressive. Those shots of, of his dad, Malcolm on that wall, hanging those black and white shots. That's in Malcolm's old office. That's at the house. So wow. when I was doing the interview with, with, um, Mrs. Kerr, uh, my producer, Jake Rogal was in the study scanning all of the photos. She, she could not have been more generous with her time and, and with the mementos from that family. Um, but just such an incredible woman in a house that overlooks the, the Pacific Ocean. Of all the houses we went to for this, that was my favorite one. And it's not the biggest one. It's not the most ornate one, but it's the most beautiful. This backyard they had, they had this huge swing that swings off a cliff from this big old tree. And she goes on it every day, she said. She's 80-something years old. Wow. She's still a professor at 
uh, UCLA, still revered on that campus, and not because Steve Kerr is her son, but because she is who she is and has been a part of that community for the better part of 50, maybe 60 years, her and her husband, um, her late husband. So just an incredible experience. One of the experiences I'll cherish the most is, is telling that story. Well, one of the things that I was really excited about, besides being in documentary episode number nine, appreciate the love, my brother. You know what I'm saying? I had a fresh cut. I love the collars on my shirt. So thank you very much. I appreciate you. The screaming lady from Indiana, you know, like people sleep on Pacer fans sometimes and the enthusiasm that they have for the team. So why was it important for you to get her in a couple of different times? Just imagine what it's like to play with with her screaming over your shoulder. We're trying to to portray just how intense this this uh, this fan base is and how difficult it was to play in that arena. Um, so look no further or listen no further than, than that woman, uh, screaming over your shoulder the entire game. It's not many times when you come across B roll like that. Uh, it, it certainly wasn't like we have to get her in at least twice. You know, it, it was just one of those decisions made in the edit room. She probably was in it more and we had to edit her down. Um, but she was indicative. And there's a few shots of, of jazz fans as well that just show how difficult it is to go into hostile territory and try to win games. I mean, imagine trying to, to drop a play. Uh, with voices like that literally in your huddle. I mean, she, she was eight feet away screaming over Dennis. Is it poor Joe Klein had to listen to that the entire game. And he was in street clothes. <laughs> he was getting paid and getting yeah, the rain. He was. Well, uh, I'm glad you brought up Utah because episode 10 focuses firmly on this series and that win for the Bulls during the last dance. Uh, imagine that you have some time to stick around and join us to discuss that in a second, Jason. Yeah, go use the bathroom, go have a beverage, and let's talk about episode yeah, 10. Celebrate a little bit. We'll talk to you about celebrate. episode 10 in one second. See you in a bit. Well, that's going to do it for episode 9 of Jalen and Jacoby, the after show. But don't leave yet. Episode 10 is available right now. But as you're getting queued up, getting yourself a beverage, enjoying your day or evening, head over to Twitter and give our guy, Jason Air, some love. He is at Jason M. Air. Air is spelled H-E-H-I-R. That's Jason M. H-E-H-I-R. And just give him a shout for everything he's done for this series. And make sure that you now queue up episode 10, Jalen Jacoby, The After Show. He's got more stories, more insight, more behind-the-scenes gems. Go listen to episode 10 right now. Listen up. He got a story to tell. And everybody feels the same. It's a young man.